So verse 41. Jesus says to them, Very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. This is another remarkable claim that only makes sense if Jesus is indeed God, if he is indeed sent by God the Father. Jesus promises eternal life to those who obey his word. This claim delights the Pharisees opposing Jesus. They believe at this saying that they finally got him. He's finally said those things that they can hold against him and keep him trapped and ensnared. This is their response in verse 52. And at this they exclaim, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Could you imagine the audacity of somebody standing face to face with Jesus and saying to him, who do you think you are? They had just such audacity. How can Jesus promise such life? Life that would be defined as one that never tastes death. Abraham himself couldn't make such a promise. Does Jesus claim to be greater than Abraham was? The Pharisees asked him, like I just said, at the end of verse 53, who do you think you are? A better question might be, who do they think they are? <laughs> well, who do they think Jesus is? Verse 54, Jesus replies, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. So does Jesus claim to be greater than Abraham? You bet he does. Jesus does indeed claim to be greater than Abraham. But it's not an honor that he takes for himself. This is an honor that's been bestowed upon him by his Father. Verse 55, though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Pharisees could not recognize this honor. They couldn't recognize the glory. Because as Jesus says, you do not know him. They did not know the Father. They knew their religion. They knew their rules and regulations. They knew their systems, their structures, their institution. But they didn't know the Father. How do we know they didn't know the Father? Because they could not recognize the Son. Verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Now not only is Jesus greater than Abraham, but Abraham himself acknowledges this. So Jesus' declaration of this brings back the accusation. How could you know Abraham rejoiced in you? Were you there? To which Jesus replied, yes, <laughs> I was there. We talked about that last time where the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Spirit came and visited Abraham. Verse 57, you're not yet 57, you're not yet 50 years old, they said to him. And you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Before Abraham came to be, I am. Now, this is the third time in this chapter that Jesus uses the phrase, I am. Verse 24, he 
He says, I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe I am. You will indeed die in your sins. Verse 28, Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know I am and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. And verse 58, very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. And he'll use it again when we get to chapter 13, verse 19. I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe I am who I am. Now this ancient phrase is the same used this ancient Greek phrase is the same used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament in Jesus' day to describe the voice of the one coming from the burning bush. In using the phrase, I am, Jesus used a very clear divine title that belonged to Yahweh alone. It's from Exodus 3, 13 and 14. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is your name? Then what shall I tell them? God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you shall say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Deuteronomy 32:39 says, see now that I am he. And there is no God beside me. Isaiah 43, 10. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. One commentator wrote concerning the statement of Jesus in verse 58, where Jesus says, very truly I tell you, before Abraham was born I am, before Abraham came to be I am, one commentator wrote this. It says, the phrase harbors within itself the most authentic, the most audacious, and the most profound affirmation by Jesus of who he was. Jesus was holding nothing back. He was telling them in their own language, as plain as could be, that he was God. He's saying, I, when he says the term, I am, he's saying, I'm the same one who spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. They, this title would not have been lost on them. They would have finally gotten it. And how do we know that they did? <laughs> well, the next verse, the best proof that Jesus, you know, what Jesus meant by claiming that he is the I am is found by the response of his listeners. They clearly interpreted the intent of Jesus' statement. At this, verse 59 says, they picked up stones to stone him. They thought it was blasphemy that he was calling himself God. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away, from the temple grounds. So they wanted to stone him for claiming to be exactly what he was. He was God. And they wanted to kill him for that. Because they didn't believe he was. But there'd be no stoning that day. It couldn't happen here, even as though it couldn't happen back in John chapter 7, verse 30, when it says, As they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not, had not come. It couldn't happen because... Still, his hour had not yet come. It just wasn't time yet. So, the remarkable theme 
throughout this chapter is expressed strongly at its end. Jesus is perfectly in unity with the Father. He and the Father are one. Unfortunately, even tragically, the Pharisees are blind to this profound truth. They had eyes, but they couldn't see. They were horribly deceived by their religion. And that realization humbles me. It makes me want to stay open and teachable before my God. Because let's be honest, isn't there a little bit of Pharisee in all of us? I think there is. I know it isn't me. So, what's our Monday morning takeaway from John chapter 8? Well, I think it's a few things. God's bigger than we realize. We have a big God. Now, for some of us, he's been really small most of our lives. I've, I believe this with all my heart. That if God is small enough to fit inside my mind, then he's too small to be my God. If he's small enough for me to fully comprehend him, then I'm God. He's not God. Every once in a while, he ought to blow my mind. He ought to color outside my lines. He ought to blow up my God box. If he's not doing that, then I have to question whether or not he's really my God. Listen, God's bigger than we realize. And he doesn't always play by our rules. Even a lifetime of religious training doesn't give us all the answers. It doesn't give us all the answers to the fullness of who God is or to how he operates. Listen to me, there's always more. There's always more of him. And sadly, we can miss it. We can miss him. They missed it. They missed him. They prayed for a Messiah. They prayed for generations for a Messiah. And when the answer to their prayers arrived, they rejected it. They missed it. They missed God. Might God be answering our prayers in certain ways and we miss him? Because it doesn't come wrapped the way we want it wrapped. It doesn't come behaving the way we want it to behave. I'm learning that God's love is more vast than I can comprehend. That the Father and the Son and the Spirit are perfectly one with one another. That there's a perfect union of love that exists between the three of them. A perfection of love and unity that vastly outstretches my understanding. I'm coming to grips more and more with the reality that Jesus is the perfect representation of the Father. All too many of us see the Father is the mean one, Jesus is the nice one, the Holy Spirit is the weird one. And that's false. The Holy Spirit isn't weird and the Father isn't mean. They're perfectly the same. When we've seen Jesus, we've seen the Father. What we see in Jesus is what we recognize in the Spirit. They're perfectly one. Jesus is the perfect representation of the Father. If you want to know who the Father is, study the life of Jesus. If you want to know who the Holy Spirit is, study the life of Jesus. Now listen. 
I said all that today because I want to say this next sentence. <laughs> In the same way that the Pharisees struggled with the manifest presence of God in Jesus Christ when he walked the earth, the church today struggles with the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit as he operates in our lives today. Let me say that again. In the very same way that the Pharisees struggled with the manifest presence of Jesus, the church today struggles with the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit. And it's for the exact same reasons. God doesn't play by our church rules. He shows up and he makes a mess out of our meetings. People flop around on the floor, or they shake, or they screech, or they do whatever. They speak in tongues, or they prophesy stuff, and sometimes the flesh is mixed in, or they don't understand it. Jesus showed up. He was a friend of sinners. He didn't play by the church rules. He hung out with tax collectors and prostitutes. It didn't fit in their box. He healed people on the Sabbath. What was he thinking? So what if the Holy Spirit shows up in our midst? And what if your pastor sits here for an hour on a Sunday morning and tells you about visions that he has? And you've never experienced that before, and it rocks your world. Does that make me a heretic that should be stoned to death? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> or could it just possibly actually be the Holy Spirit just coloring outside of your lines? Guys, who do we want to be? Do you want a nice, neat, organized, structured religion that you can count to be a certain way and to do certain things? Or do you want the vibrant life of God in your midst, even if he messes up your world? I'm convinced. I've only been here two years. And I could be wrong, but as of today, I'm convinced that the strongest attack of the enemy that we wrestle with on Prince Edward Island is a religious spirit. We wrestle against the same pharisaical spirit that Jesus wrestled with right here in John chapter 8. <laughs> and it's not the unsaved, it's the church people. The people who have been Christians for a long time. They got a God box that they expect God to operate within. And the Holy Spirit shows up, and you know what? They despise it. They ridicule it. They mock it. They resist it. They reject it. They leave the meetings early. They call up the pastor and complain. Could it be? They pick up stones, as it were, modern-day stones. Now the modern-day th stones are thrown? Email, Facebook, text messaging. That's how the stones are thrown today. Gossip. We're going to talk about what happened, and we're going to leave the church. This is how we throw stones today. Am I speaking the truth, or am I just lying up here? We've walked through this. What do you want? Which do you want? We spent weeks, we spent more than a month on chapter 8, seeing the difference between Jesus and the Pharisees. Whose camp do you want to be in? Whose camp do you want to be in? You want to be a Pharisee who has a religion that you can depend on to be exactly the same week in and week out? Or do you want the life of the Spirit? Do you want to follow Jesus who colored outside the lines? Who hung out with people that Pharisees wouldn't hang out with? Wouldn't even touch? I would so want to live 
my life in the flow of the Holy Spirit that the same accusations that are made against Jesus would be made against me. Oh, what if it's a badge of honor that they say, you're a new agent. You're a Samaritan. You're a modern-day Samaritan. You're a new agent, Tom. Or you're demon-possessed because you have visions and you interpret dreams. I would rather be in Jesus' camp than in the Pharisees' camp. I want to be identified with him. How about you? Whose side do you want to be on? Many Christians struggle with the Holy Spirit's presence in our day for the same reasons that the Pharisees struggled with the manifest presence of the Messiah and Jesus. Because he doesn't do things the way we want him to. The Holy Spirit doesn't play by the rules of organized religions. The Holy Spirit moves and it seems strange. It seems unsophisticated. It seems disorganized. It seems like foolishness to us. And just as Jesus did in his day, the Holy Spirit does today. He offends our minds to reveal our hearts. God will do stuff in our midst that seems weird and strange to offend our minds to reveal our hearts. Now look, the Holy Spirit is alive and he's active. We don't invite him in the church so he could sit in the back corner and, and you know, and be obedient. You don't invite the Holy Spirit to come and just hide off in the corner. If he comes in, if you invite the Lord into the house, he's the Lord of the house. He doesn't play by our rules. We're to play by his rules. And he doesn't seem to have as much concern for decorum as we do. The Holy Spirit is alive and he's active today. We have not come close to exhausting the limits of the Holy Spirit's power. As a matter of fact, I'm convinced we've barely scratched the surface of what's available in him. You know what? Having a spirit-filled church is more than a couple of words of knowledge on a Sunday morning. It means more than that. Having a church that's filled with the Holy Spirit means more than one or two people mumble a few words in tongues every now and then. He has more. He's got much more. All too often, it's more than what we want. If we're honest, we'll admit we want a God who plays by our rules. We want a God who isn't messy. We want a God who will not surprise us. We want a God who will yield to our sense of logic and reason and understanding. And if we do that, if that's the God we want, he's not God. We are. If God can fit within the realm of my logic, reason, and understanding, then I'm God. If we want a God who plays by our rules, who doesn't make a mess, who doesn't surprise us, who yields to our sense of logic, reason, and understanding, know this. That's no God. That's not the God of the Bible. It's not the Father, the Son. It's not the way the Holy Spirit works. So I, I beg you this morning. I plead with you from the depths of my being. As your friend, as your pastor. Do not allow your former religious training or your fears of the unknown to keep you from exploring the limitlessness of our great God. Don't let your fears rule you. 
Don't let your experience rule you. Don't let your expertise rule you. Isn't God beyond the best of your experiences? The best of your training? <clears throat> Think for a moment. What are your glory days? What are your good old days? I remember back in the day when we had a church that did blah, blah, blah. We can all say that. Can't God go beyond that? Can he do more than our glory days? Can he do more than our best day? And if you think back on those days, it was probably, it was probably your best day because it was new, because it was different, because it was exciting, because it was unexpected. He's not done yet. He's absolutely not done. Our God's greater. Let's pray. Father, as the pastor of Shelltown Community Church, on behalf of myself and people gathered here, Lord, I repent. I repent for putting you in a box. I repent for calling good evil and evil good. I repent for judging you, for judging others. I repent for calling the working and the moving of the Holy Spirit demonic. I repent, Lord. Lord, I repent for gossip and slander. I repent. I repent for throwing stones on Facebook, the telephone, text messaging. I repent, Lord, that when you answered our prayers and showed up in your spirit, we didn't recognize you and we rejected you. We repent. Forgive us, Lord. Lord, have mercy on us. Have your way with Charlottetown Community Church. Lord, I ask you that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit. That this would be a place, that this would be a church where the Spirit flows freely. That when you offend our minds and reveal our hearts, that we would yield our way to your way. That when you come and work and move in our midst, that we welcome it. That when you blow up our God box, and you color outside our lines that we would embrace it and celebrate it. That we would choose you in all that's mysterious and unknown above our logic and our reason and our understanding. Holy Spirit, come and have your way in our lives. Have your way in this church. Have your way on Prince Edward Island. Lord, I pray that you'd put to death in our midst our religious pharisaical spirit. Put it to death. That we might truly be born again. That we would be baptized in your spirit and fire. Make it so, God. I'm reminded of scripture. Joshua says to the assembly, choose this day whom you will serve. 
I can't make this choice for you. This is between you and God. I think I've laid out a pretty clear case. I challenge you. Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, as for Tom and Nadine, we're going to serve the Lord. Amen? Okay, even though it was a little rough today. <laughs> Thank you. I really do love you guys. Have an awesome day. We'll see you throughout the week.